If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Holland and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. We've reached the end of the month, so that means it's time for a monthly update. Today we'll be talking about two updates from cases I've covered, some exciting news about cases we're going to be doing, places we're going to be going. But as always, we're going to start with some Patreon shoutouts. Emily, take it away. We love recognizing our amazing Patreon members, all of which help us keep the show running. And this month's recent $10 members are Tracy C. from Salem, Oregon, and Verena B. from Brauweiler, Germany. Dankeschön, meine Lieben. And thank you to both of you and to all of you, all of our Patreon members. And remember that Patreon members get perks with as little as $1 per month. Do you have a dollar that we can have? <laughs> <laughs> Not in this economy. Give us your dollar. In exciting news that nearly had me in tears, an arrest has been made in the May 6, 2022 shooting death of Sir Charles Mark Anthony Jones. You may recall my interview with his mother from the episode Giving Up is Too Boring. In it, Jasmine spoke about her son, Sir Charles, and how, as a security guard at the Portland Marriott, he was underprotected and was only trained, well, because of the training that he took upon himself to do. As he sat in his girlfriend's vehicle, which he used for work around 3 a.m. that May morning, he was shot in the head by an unknown assailant. The vehicle was also riddled with bullet holes. Patreon supporter Jeannie S., thank you again, Jeannie, sent us the link for a news article about an arrest. Given that the murder of Sir Charles Jones involved no witnesses, no publicly known surveillance videos, and seemed to have been a random attack, I'll be honest, I had very little faith that the police would care enough to put the work in necessary to find the killer. But we can ring that bell because it looks like they may have. When was it that you covered this case initially? Let's see. It happened in May of last year. I believe that episode came out maybe March or April of uh, 2023. So the shooting was May of 2022. I think I covered it just about a year later. And then here we are two years later with an arrest. I remember the case. Was he working at a hotel? Yeah, he was and sitting that, outside the Portland Marriott. And was the hotel not very helpful? Yeah, his mom had mentioned that no one from the hotel had reached out to her, just even to acknowledge 
your son lost his life while protecting our property. Was it because he was under more of a contractor I status I would assume or so, but I think it was really more just, can't we look past that? You know, can't it be more than that? Not only did he die for property, but you can't send the mom flowers because he was a contractor. Pretty cold stuff. That's That's pretty awful. I agree. And I think that was the feeling where it was just, can't there be a little bit of humanity? It is alleged that 31-year-old Cedric Damon Washington Jr. may have been that killer. He was arrested by U.S. Marshals on Tuesday, February 21st for the murder of Sir Charles. Upon his booking, he was charged with unlawful use of a weapon and second-degree murder. I couldn't find Cedric Washington through our background check system, but according to Oregon Live, he was convicted of fourth-degree assault in February of 2013. This really is wonderful news, sort of. It certainly doesn't bring Sir Charles back or take away the pain his loved ones carry for him every day. But it does get one alleged killer off the streets so that at the very least, no one else can be harmed by his actions. We'll keep you posted on whether he takes a deal or ends up going to trial. As one does with 13, I got enthralled with discussing local gossip recently. I joked about how I considered enrolling my daughter in this local private school, but lately I've actually been happy that I couldn't afford it at the time because all of the gossip I see about the school online. Then my daughter audibly gasps and proceeds to tell me some true gossip, true crime gossip, <gasps> that she, quote, can't believe she hasn't talked to me about yet. Oh my gosh. In Lake Oswego, Oregon, my current hometown and some of the surrounding areas, there is a mortgage company that is very well known. I know of multiple billboards and they tend to get recommended more than any other mortgage brokers in a number of the town or mom Facebook groups I'm in. Don't judge. And this is Director's Mortgage. Oh, yes, I know that name. So for some background, the company was founded in 1998 by a man named Mark Hanna. He grew his company quickly and now has over 30 locations along the West Coast, and he's a well-known guy in the area and is still president and CEO of the company. They have a number of partnerships and sponsorships with businesses and sports teams that you would recognize. Now, how does this relate to the gossip yeah. and true crime? Well, director's mortgage sometimes brings on interns over the summer, and one of those interns was a 16-year-old the 16-year-old daughter of a director's mortgage VP, Anthony Leverett. Now, imagine Anthony's shock when his daughter tells him that the CEO, Mark Hanna, came on to her. <gasps> Naturally, he filed a complaint with director's mortgage regarding an incident that took place. According to the 16-year-old daughter, Hannah brought up his personal sex life and his love of oral sex <gasps> before moving on to offer her a ride on his private jet so that they could go visit the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in Orange County, California, without telling her parents, right? Like, this was a private and conversation. And doesn't this speak to his comfortability in his position oh yeah that he would do this to the child of a vp in his office right where the other man works right so that really speaks to his yeah arrogance well he's probably he's 30 years growing this business uh -huh. he gets away with whatever he wants uh -huh. now her father's complaint was filed in october and the response wasn't so great he was fired <gasps> 
So, of course, oh boy, we now see a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So this past January, he filed a lawsuit against Hannah and Director's Mortgage that essentially is suing for funds related to a hostile work environment and retaliation against him. So here's a snippet from that lawsuit. Defendant Hannah individually and on behalf of defendant directors subjected the daughter to a sex-based hostile work environment to sexual harassment of a minor in the workplace and failed to take reasonable steps necessary to prevent an ongoing hostile work environment and sexual harassment from occurring. So it's blaming both the company Mm -hmm. and the man. Leverett's is asking for $1.5 million for the loss of pay due to his termination. And I will say he was making over $700 a year as a VP. So that is reasonable. $700,000? Yeah. Because I make $700 a year. Oh, did I say $700? I meant, I meant he makes $700,000 a year. So it's reasonable ask to do $1.5 million. Oh, for I mean, wages. I would do $10 million just to well, stick it to the guy. He's also suing for another $2 million for himself and $2 million for his daughter due to embarrassment, anxiety, etc. Now, it gets even more spicy because director's mortgage is claiming that that's not the reason he was fired. They claim that Leverett's used their money to seed his new company, stating he was disloyal and in break of his fiduciary duty of loyalty as an officer of the company. So basically, he took money right. to start his own company. Now, needless to say, there may be some upcoming court dates or, you know, they might settle outside of court. Yeah, probably. And I'll keep an eye on it. Now, ironically... In 2022, director's mortgage cut ties with the Thorns, our women's soccer team here in Portland, after allegations of systematic emotional abuse and sexual misconduct arose. Right. That was within the Thorns that that was happening. Right. And And then they're like, no, no, no. And now they're dealing with it. Now, the saddest part, of course, is the daughter. Apparently, uh, it's all anyone at the high schools can talk about. So her real life is being mocked and kids are posting about it on their Instagram and Snap stories. So I really do imagine she's suffering. That's horrible. And I told my daughter, like, it will die out. Eventually, the kids are going to stop making this their their number one topic. But it's always good to step in Mm -hmm. as a teen to be like, let's not talk about that. It has nothing to do with her. Um, It's just all very sad. Yeah, she's a victim. I'm sorry. You're supposed to be the progressive teens of today. And I'm, you know, the dinosaur who doesn't know what progressive is. You're victim blaming and you're bullying. And also note to self, in about five to 10 years, you're going to wake up as an adult and want to barf every time it crosses your mind. Oh, yeah. And whatever you said or posted or did. And that's what I try to convey to her to my child is like, you can't take back the things you say and they your words do affect people. Mm -hmm. And we've all learned that the hard way. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's hard as a parent because, you know, your kid has to live through it before they really, really understand. But I hope that they realize the impact of what you do online to yeah. bullying. Way back in our early days, I covered the case of Kathleen Henry and Veronica Abachuk in Alaska. As we've mentioned, we did some housekeeping, so you can find those older episodes on our Patreon for free or via our YouTube page. This update comes from our 19th episode, Tough Alaska Chick slash Deep Creek. For a quick recap, in September 2019, a woman turned an SD memory card into police after claiming to have found it on the side of the road. 
When she put it in her computer and saw the 39 images and 12 videos it included, the handwritten title of Murder at Midtown Marriott made a lot more sense. This woman had come across an actual snuff film. When the police looked through the contents, they found images of a young Alaskan Native woman who was naked on the ground, being beaten, throat stomped, and strangled by an older white male with an unusual accent. The images went from the hotel room and the act of murder to the bed of the man's truck where the woman's body was dragged. The videos showed the woman being strangled, but not to death. She continued to fight, waking up to the frustration of her attacker. The accented man would say things like, just die. The cycle of strangling and then beating went on and on until the woman finally succumbed to her injuries. On October 2nd, 2019, police were called when a body was discovered on the side of the road. The woman was found at the bottom of a hill next to some train tracks off a main highway near Beluga Point, Alaska, about 20 minutes southeast from Anchorage. The woman had been in the elements for about a month. It took until October 10th to identify her, but eventually her name was released. The body was that of 30-year-old Kathleen J. Henry. She was an Alaskan indigenous woman. The coroner found she had been beaten and strangled. Her time of death was consistent with when the images on the SD card had been created, September 4th through 6th. With police agencies working together, they were able to conclude that the woman in the videos and images was the same woman whose body they had found. Kathleen considered herself a tomboy and her favorite season was winter. Yes, winter in Alaska. She was, as she had said in Facebook posts, a tough Alaskan chick, as proven by the self-defense attempts seen in the videos. At one point, she can be seen scratching at her attacker's wrists in an effort to get him to stop. Police now had a homicide investigation, but if it hadn't been for the discovery of the SD card, they would be starting at zero. Instead, they had the time, place, and means of her death, along with a video of the man who did it. Though video evidence seems strong, it was all the police had, just the images and the man's voice. Then they realized they knew his voice. It was a South African accent, and they were already talking with a South African man regarding a different case. So that was when they brought in the then 47-year-old Brian Stephen Smith for questioning. Brian Smith was an immigrant from South Africa who had just become a U.S. citizen on September 20th, 16 days after the murder of Kathleen. He had been married to 69-year-old Stephanie Bisland for about five years. He was a super guy who loved to post racist things on Facebook, such as, quote, the black Africans are only this blatant about their racism towards whites because we have all these bleeding hearts whites who feel sorry for these savages. It didn't take long for the questioning to turn into a confession. Brian quickly revealed that he had killed Kathleen at the Marriott and that those were his images. Then came some unexpected information. While confessing to the murder of Kathleen, Smith dropped a bomb. In 2018, a year earlier, he had murdered another indigenous Alaskan woman. This was corroborated when he gave them details of where to find the body and provided positive identification when shown her photo from missing persons cases. Officers followed the directions given by Brian and were led straight to another crime scene. It had been about a year and a half, so all that remained was a skull with what was clearly a bullet wound. After running dental records, it was found that those remains belonged to 53-year-old Veronica Abachuk. She had been reported missing in July 2017 when she had failed to pick up a check. The family grew suspicious and concerned, hence filing the report. 
Veronica was a mother and had a large extended family that she loved to cook with. The discovery of her remains brought closure to a family that had been tormented by her disappearance. In late 2018, a body had been discovered and identified as Veronica. It wasn't until fingerprints were run that it was found to have been a misidentification. Veronica's family was crushed but still held out hope. Brian Stephen Smith was originally charged with one count of first-degree murder, two counts of second-degree murder, and two counts of tampering with physical evidence. Then, when Veronica's body was discovered, additional charges were brought, including one count of first-degree murder, two counts of second-degree murder, two counts of second-degree sexual assault, and three counts of tampering with physical evidence. There was also a misdemeanor charge brought. The complaint alleges, quote, sometime between 2017 and 2018, at or near Anchorage, Brian Stephen Smith engaged in sexual penetration of a corpse. Brian pleaded not guilty and was held on $2 million bail. The case has appeared strong against him. He confessed and even delivered a different victim to authorities. His phone pinged to the locations of the hotel and the body. He had a reservation at the hotel for the same days listed on the videos. The case is strong. The charges, the closure, and the story of these women all come down to that little SD card and a citizen who had enough curiosity and sense to not only look at it but to turn it in. If that card had not been found, there is no telling how long it would have taken to piece together what, to authorities, probably felt like just another Native woman's murdered body found on the side of the road. And that's where the update comes in. Brian's trial has started, and the biggest surprise so far has been about the SD card. It turns out it was not discovered on a street corner. It was stolen from Brian's truck. A woman who has a history of sex work had been picked up by Brian— As she waited in the truck alone, she snooped around, and in the center console, she saw an SD card. Now, I have not seen the transcript or reports yet to know if she saw the title of Hotel Murders and wanted to take it, or if she thought the card itself would have value. Whatever reason, she took it. And just like before, thank goodness she did. She stole it and could have faced charges of her own for theft or sex work, but she did the right thing, and it led to Brian's arrest. Now that the trial has begun, additional dialogue from the videos has been released and includes Brian saying, What are my followers going to think of me? People need to know when they are being serial killed. And yes, even with all of that evidence, he pleaded not guilty to all 14 counts he's facing. The defense argued against having the card submitted as evidence. They claimed that since the card was stolen and the woman was in possession of it for a week before turning it in, she could have messed with it and they couldn't prove the videos or images were real or not duplicates. The judge was like, um, we have technology and they can authenticate all of it, so the SD card stays. That's not a quote from the judge. (laughs) Very casual judge. Very chill. Sadly, that means the SD card images and videos will be evidence the jury will have to view. There were even suggestions of closing off the courtroom to the public. Safety measures were implemented so the images couldn't be streamed or shared by the public and they would only hear the audio. Now that the trial, which is expected to last three to four weeks, has begun, the prosecution came out strong with the video of Kathleen Henry's murder. For 35 minutes, the jury watched the last moments of Kathleen's life. The jury watched on as Kathleen, who had clearly been beaten, was tortured, molested, abused, and strangled. Judge Saxby, overseeing the case, said, quote, In addition to being robbed of her life, she's being robbed of her dignity. 
jurors and courtroom attendees could hear the South African-accented man ask, do people need to learn how to die these days? As blood begins to drip out of Kathleen's mouth. Throughout the abhorrent attack, Brian was touching Kathleen's breasts and genitals. He would strangle her until her breathing was labored. The man would use Kathleen's hand to hit herself. The male voice then sang ACDC's Thunderstruck while strangling her. Near the end, as the man is kicking Kathleen in the abdomen and vagina, he repeats over and over, You live, you die, you live, you die, before finishing with, Sadly, in my movies, everyone dies. As this is an active trial, we will keep you posted, and we will hopefully have a verdict for you in the next update. It's horrifying how many people have to be exposed to that to get some measure of yeah. justice. It's awful. Yeah, there's just so many aspects. It's like one action happens of hurting someone and the hurt that is inflicted on that person, you know, whether they survive or not, the wave that comes after that of the people that have to see it and be exposed to it and share it and talk about it and then go to court with it and show it to the jury and show it to the family and show it. It just goes on and on and on. And then those people having to go home and live with it. Yeah. People that were affected by it directly. Yeah. Kudos to all the people that actually do their duty and go to the jury when they're called for it and get picked. I never get picked. People are just supposed to walk out of the court after being exposed to that. Yeah. And just go back to life. Yeah. Oh, I sent someone to jail for the rest of their life. Oh, that too. Yeah. It, I didn't it, think I'm about fine. That. No problem. Yeah. It's a lot. We'd love to hear from you. If anyone listening has been on a jury for, a, you know, not a major case as in famous, but uh, a major crime, we'd love to hear your experience. So email us and let us know. If support was offered, if you talked with fellow jury members about the intensity, anything, that'd be very interesting. We can start a new Patreon series called You the Jury. Oh, look at you, big ideas over here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today.
as some of you are aware, it was recently my birthday. I know, I know. Happy birthday. I don't look a day over 30. Thank you, besties. <laughs> For my birthday this year, I decided to go to Bend, Oregon and spend it with a couple of my close friends who live over there. Now, there's a festival every year called Oregon Winterfest where you can try local beers and food. You can see local art and experience light shows, ice carving, warm yourself by cool fire pits and even listen to live music. I once saw Coolio there a few years back. Oh, this rips. year's big guest is hip hop star Chingy. Oh, OK. You're going to so, have a good time. I, I love the way you do that. Right. Her. <laughs> right. Her. Is yeah, that, that was that was your time. That was your music, Josh. Well, don't get me started on Chingy. <laughs> Chingaling. I'm a fan. Now, as you can imagine, Uber is heavily used during this festival. There have been many times where we've waited over an hour to get one if we stay too late at these kinds of events. Well, imagine my surprise when I read an article that was sent to me today regarding Uber. And please note, we're recording this in advance. So by the time it airs, I will hopefully have safely made it home from bed. You will have made it home. <laughs> we're not putting we'll hopefully in there. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe you go home with Chingy. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, you never know. Please go home with Chingy. <laughs> God Almighty! Well, please with Coolio, come home. we didn't even get into the tent because we were too busy eating hot dogs and pretzels to get a good spot. We had to stand outside in the snow. So we'll see. Just saying, he's going to be wandering around. You're going to make eyes. You're going to shimmy that shoulder. <laughs> oh, he truly <laughs> like Coolio that day. You oh, Winterfest. Oh, oh, he was fun. Coolio. Yeah, just Aww. if you see him, be like, oh, I like the way you move it right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to my case. On Tuesday, February 13th, a 48-year-old Uber driver from Lapine named Rocky Eugene Earl Heath was arrested for kidnapping. 19-year-old Sheila Miller called for an Uber, which picked her up around 6.26 p.m., but then it got a little crazy. The driver apparently canceled the ride in the app and proceeded to drive her around for over 30 minutes, ignoring her repeated requests to take her home. Eventually, he did take her home, and at around 9 p.m., she called police. And I read that article. The alarming part of the 25 to 30 minutes is that where she needed to go was five minutes away. Yeah. So once you get to that seven, eight-minute mark... And you're panicking. Uh-huh. And you're going, where are you taking me? And it is... I'm rolling out the car. It's pretty rural out there once you leave the town. Yeah, that's true. They were in Bend, and then outside of Bend, you're in between Redmond. Mm -hmm. It's rural and scary. Yeah. So police searched the area for his car, which was a 2023 Polestar 2, which they located at around 1130. They arrested him. Heath is now facing charges for second-degree kidnapping and second-degree disorderly conduct. He has an arraignment on March 19th, but he was able to be released from jail on the 14th of February after posting 10% of his $20,000 bail. Now, I did a bit of a background search on Rocky Heath, Ooh. who also goes by the name of Rocky Blodgett. Ooh, getting now, deep with this <laughs> intel. I'm excited. Now, interestingly, he has a lot of traffic violations, which makes me wonder how the fuck yeah, is what? he driving for Uber? Because let me tell you about these. We'll start with the most recent. In 2022, he had a violation for driving over 100 miles per hour. 
in 2020, he had a violation for a child passenger restraint. So I'm thinking no mm. car seat or seat belts. Yeah. He also had a failure to produce evidence of financial responsibility, which may be insurance. Not sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also had no license. So this oh. was all in Arizona. So that you need to find this girl and make sure she has all this information and she can sue the crap out of Uber. Well, I think she probably is a lawyer. They well, can figure it out. You call her. Okay. Well, I'm gonna be We're in bed. The end. I'll find be in her. Bed. I'll be asking her on Winterfest. <laughs> Where's Sheila? I have a printout for her. Okay, so in 2018, he had a violation for driving while suspended. In tw- in 2006, he also had a violation for driving Jeez. while suspended. In 2003, he got a ticket for speeding. In 2001, he got tickets for speeding on the interstate, driving while suspended, <sighs> careless driving, and failure to carry proof oh of insurance. Oh, my God. In 1999, he was convicted of child neglect and failure to use seatbelts. And lastly, in 1996, he got a ticket for driving without a license. I mean, how oh. many things do they overlook? I, I mean, I know they overlook some speeding stuff because I was able to become an Uber driver. But this is insane. But nothing major like that. That's crazy. Speeding is one thing. Driving without a license and insurance? That that's is, your bread and butter, and baby. And like violation, violation, violation. Yeah. Holy so anyway, cow. I might not take Uber this weekend because <laughs> those stories are scary and this is fresh. And we want you to actually get home safe. Luckily, my friend has a teenage daughter who can pick us up. Oh, so thank God. We'll call it good. <laughs> Earlier in the month, the show started to receive messages on Facebook and Instagram all about a woman who had gone missing. The woman in question was 47-year-old Jeannie Inyart. She had last been seen on January 27th near Northeast Holiday Street and 93rd Avenue in Portland. At that point, her disappearance was so fresh, there wasn't even a missing persons poster I could share. Thanks to listeners who shared her fiancé's Facebook page and other information, I was able to find John French. As I scrolled through his page and read comments, my stomach sank. Since Janine had last been seen, all John had posted was a link to an article from our local Fox outlet, KPTV. The headline read, Car of Missing Portland Woman Found Wrecked, PPB Asking for Help. I lost track of how many times in what was at that point just a couple of days that he had posted that same article. In the comments were friends and family members of Jeannie, and they weren't holding back. Where is she, John? What have you done? Where is she? Where's the storage unit? Why did you have both sets of keys? Accusations of murder, drug use, and hiding her body were prevalent. And it was odd that he was only posting the link with attachments, saying, please come home, wifey. Come home. You're my queen. Please help bring my genie home. So on. The comments continued with people asking why he was only posting that link and not organizing a search or building a page or posting a missing persons flyer, something proactive. And it's not like the article itself was the most informative piece of reporting. There was no info available, so it simply read, Police are now asking for help finding a 47-year-old woman who was last seen on Saturday. Jeannie Enyart was last seen on Saturday by her neighbors in the area of Northeast Holiday Street and Northeast 93rd Avenue. On Monday, officers found Enyart's car in Skamania County crashed and empty. Given the circumstances, detectives and family are concerned for Enyart's well-being. Enyart is described as a white woman, 135 pounds. Anyone who sees her is urged to contact PPB's missing persons detective Scott Broughton at scott.broughton at police.portlandoregon.gov and reference case number 24-22701. That was the article he posted over and over again. 
being the type of armchair detective who is certain there will come a day when someone will tattle on themselves to me directly, I decided to reach out to John. Here is our exchange via Facebook Messenger. Hello, John. My name is Alicia, and I am a host on the Pacific Northwest-based true crime podcast, Murder in the Rain. We've been sent information about Jeannie's disappearance. I am so sorry you and her family are going through this. We would be happy to help you. We have done urgent episodes for missing persons in the past. If you wanted, you and I could chat. Then I could get the most important information out to the public. His response, how can y'all help find her? All her family is saying, I did something. Later that evening, he actually called me on Facebook. I did not answer that call because I hold pretty tight boundaries regarding communication with strangers and work hours. He continued, I didn't do anything. I love Jeannie with all my heart and soul. She is my queen, my one, my everything. We can schedule a meeting over Zoom. You can walk me through the details so I can make sure the information I have is accurate, and I can release a special episode requesting help or tips. Do you have a flyer we can share or a Facebook page we can send people to? And his response was sending me that same link. That was the end of the conversation, and I do now kind of wish I had answered that call because who knows what he would have said. Because then, on February 1st, the vehicle was checked again, and that was when officers discovered Jeannie's body. It had been in the car the whole time. That idea that a car could be checked and a body wasn't found, but then it was later, has me kind of horrified as to what might have been done to her body to hide her away or whatever those circumstances were. Which, this could explain why John French was arrested on Monday, February 5th, under charges of second-degree murder and abuse of a corpse. This was after an autopsy found Jeannie's cause of death had been homicidal violence. Was it, and it was the police that checked the car initially? Yeah, so I'm not sure if that means they peeked inside and didn't see anything, so they towed it in, and maybe she was, I don't know, in the trunk or something, but... The abuse of the corpse and her not being seen, I'm just like, what What does that mean? So that's definitely going to be one we're going to have to wait for either the court reports to come out or him to take a deal or something to fully understand what happened. And, and something that the, a comment that kept popping up on his page that people were asking, there were a lot of references to both sets of keys. From what I can tell, it sounded like they had two sets of keys for this vehicle and he was in possession of both, but then was also saying that she had left in that car. And then everyone said, then why do you have both the keys? That's not anything I know for sure. That's not confirmed. That was just via those Facebook conversations. And so I'm so sorry for the friends and family because they were all so, you could just tell, frustrated, panicked, horrified. There are accusations of alleged abuse in the past. You could just sense the urgency because everyone was saying, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? What have you done? And all they're getting in response is this article over and over again. John has had a day in court facing not just the charges, but Jeannie's family, children, mother, and friends. They had some choice words for John, the man who, to the public, was pleading for his girl to return home, but in private was being accused of having been physically abusive toward her. When all the dust has settled and the information is available, we'll keep you updated and we will likely end up doing an episode on this heartbreaking case and senseless loss. Anyone with information about the case is asked to contact Detective Brent Christensen at brett.christensen at police.portlandoregon.gov 
or at 503-823-2087, and you can reference case number 24-22701. All right, everybody, that was our monthly update. We will be back again at the end of March with all sorts of new things. And we'll be pinching people who aren't wearing green. Oh, look out. And I'm really excited for my next episode because I get to sit down with Nick from True Crime Garage, one of my favorite podcasters ever. So exciting. Not to harp on, but if you are in the Denver area or want to travel to the Denver area, a great time to do so would be this July when Murder in the Rain will be there. We'll be at the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival July 12th through 14th. If you're interested, you can get a 15% discount on tickets by using our code RAIN15 at checkout. That's R-A-I-N-1-5 at truecrimepodcastfestival.com. Speaking of true crime festivals, we are so excited to announce we will be attending and hopefully presenting at the first annual True Crime Fest Northwest. True Crime Fest Northwest will be held at the PDX Sheraton over Labor Day weekend, August 30th through September 1st, which is great because now that we've been doing the festival convention circuit, I've noticed a couple of things. A lot of teachers like to attend true crime events. A lot of people are willing to travel long distances to do so. And when Sunday comes around, a lot of people aren't able to attend any events or revisit tables because they have to leave town. With it being Labor Day and Monday being a holiday, it should work so that people get to enjoy the entire event. True Crime Fest Northwest is also going to have VIP parties for vendors and guests, speakers, an expo hall, a nonprofit section, Some of you may recall a couple of years ago in October of 22, right after Josh's heart surgery and the yogurt jokes, there was a true crime fest in Washington. That event was great and everyone had so much fun. So the following year, a bunch of us podcasters were getting in touch with each other asking, hey, have you heard from that festival? Then we found out while at the True Crime Paranormal Podcast Festival in Austin, while talking to our friends at PNW Haunts and Homicides, who I hope will be attending this upcoming event with us, They were all like, by the way, that was a school project for the women that hosted it, which is why it has not happened again. So for all of you who have asked, that's apparently why. Do you feel like you were conned? A little bit. A little bit of a rook. A little bit of a rook. One, everyone was very excited. And while we were there talking about the next year, we're like, this is going so well. Can't wait to come back. So hopes were up in that regard. It was put on so well. They had the video streaming, so if you were in the expo hall, you weren't missing out on the speakers. And then you also knew speakers were happening. So you're like, oh, I can go grab water or I can take a bathroom break. It really sucks that they didn't dissuade anyone of the notion that there would be another one. Yeah. They didn't say, oh, we don't know, maybe, we'll, you know, probably not. We're not going to do that next year, but not not to just not to say. Exactly. Or to to say, like, this is, well, I I guess people wouldn't have signed up. I'm glad that... You, that that happened and you went to that one because it it was sort of the genesis of the True Crime Fest Northwest. It's true. We had such a great time. We met so many people. The Pacific Northwest needs something like this that is just kind of there. And it's surprising that there isn't. I, it is. It really, really is. Yeah. And with those other people, they never sent us the 
copy of our live show. And I, I really wanted to hear and it. Josh and Josh couldn't attend. To put it on Patreon. I couldn't because, well, you just had heart surgery. An alien chest burster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they shaved off my beard for God's sake. Yeah. So that was. Can you imagine? That was upsetting, but you're right. From the ashes comes True Crime Fest Northwest, which is not a school project and is not a one-time deal. It's a great space. We checked out the space a few months ago. Oh, it's ago. gorgeous. It's large. There's tons of parking. Great location. <laughs> the airport's going to be all remodeled by then, and it's going to be gorgeous. It's already It already wins America's favorite airport like every year. You're right at the max line, so if you are new in town or you're staying somewhere else, you can hop on the max and go downtown if you're feeling spicy. <laughs> you're like, let's go see what it's all about. But there's also the Cascade Station right there that has Cascade a ton of restaurants Station. and Ikea. Go have lunch at Ikea like I love to do. You got all sorts of restaurants. It's a perfect spot, and it's a really beautiful place. Did I say Target? There's a Target. There's a Wendy's. There's a Buffalo Wild Wings. There's that big golf store. And there's probably a few dispensaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not down far the road, away. Very near. So the reason Josh and I have seen the building, I just want to say for transparency, I do know and am close with the people that are hosting the event, but Murder in the Rain is not affiliated with it directly. So if you do have questions or anything, I can send you that way, but it's not through Murder in the Rain. We're just very excited because the Northwest needs this. It only seems right that we have our own event. So now you can go to True Crime Fest Northwest. That's Northwest as the word, not NW. TrueCrimeFestNorthwest.com, which you can also find on Facebook and Instagram. You go get your early bird attendee tickets, which will get you access to the expo hall and the presentations, or you can sign up to be an exhibitor. And this is not limited to podcasts. If you are an author, an artist, you create anything in the true crime world, check it out. I'm very excited in case you can't tell. We will hopefully have a discount code very soon, but for now, like I said, it's still early bird pricing. So get to truecrimefestnorthwest.com and get your tickets now for August 30th through September 1st. Corporate coldness. Oh, that's a podcast. Endless episodes. <laughs> Name one. Evil. <laughs> we should make a, a Coolio snowman this year. Oh. Or this coming... Halloween, I almost said. I'm going to go away. <laughs> 19. Wait. I didn't write that, did I? Yes, I do remember this case. I can't believe we were ever so young. That was so, so, so long, long ago. ago. Yeah. Pre-COVID. Literally what? a few months into the show. I don't know if I was even were we was the were we even here before that? No. <laughs> was there a world before oh. COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Did we exist before uh, COVID? Halfway to purgatory, baby. Yeah. Corporate... Halfway to purgatory, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that there's that many South African white men living in Alaska. Crikey. <laughs> probably oh, so close. Probably not. Judge, jury, and executioner Harvey. Yeah. Steve uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he puts on the little thing, but instead of eye holes, it's a mustache hole. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. That is correct. 
Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. <laughs>